my darlings and darklings. I'm your host, Lethe, and welcome to the Simply Witchery podcast, where we discuss witchery, ritual, the divine, and magic of all sorts. This week, I'm discussing the finer points of shadow work by breaking down the five main categories into several subcategories. Then I'm moving on to the meditation station, where I discuss the affirmation meditation for the suit of pentacles. Next up is magic and me, where I discuss the importance of pausing. Finally, it's tarot time, where I do a reading for the collective and a lucky listener. Stay tuned! Welcome to Shadow Work Part 2, everyone. If you missed the podcast episode from two weeks ago, be sure to go back and give it a listen. I talked about the basics of shadow work, and it's important that you have the foundation before you proceed. Alright, so this week I'm breaking down the fine main categories of study in shadow work into smaller categories. This will help you refine your focus even further. You can examine each subcategory in order, or you can hop around. I find it's best to go in order your first time through and then jump around as you revisit the categories later on, especially if you feel unsure of where you should start. Before we start, I want to remind you that your positive experiences create shadow just as much as your negative ones. If you come across a subcategory that you don't see a shadow in, still spend some time with it. I guarantee you it's there. Remember you are unearthing the unconscious here. You're supposed to be unaware of the unconscious. I also want to mention that I'll be sprinkling personal experience in here as well whenever I feel it's necessary to illustrate my point. Remember that my experience is mine alone, and yours might be, and probably is, totally different. My truth may not align with yours, and it doesn't make either of us wrong. So let's get started with the first category, formative experiences. The subcategories for this one are nurturer, provider, siblings, childhood, and home life. I'm going to start by going over the nurturer and provider first because I know my language is not traditional and can be a little confusing without explanation. Traditionally, your mother would be your nurturer and your father would be your provider. I find it reductive and exclusionary to use heteronormative language here. Some people have more than one dad and some people have none. Others find their provider in their mother and their nurturer in their father. Single parents are both nurturer and provider for their kids. Some find one or both in someone outside of their family altogether. I think it's important that we examine our familial relationships here, but don't confine yourself to biology or to those that are legally your parents. That said, the strengths and weaknesses, triumphs and failures of the people who are supposed to be your provider and nurturer often form quite a bit of shadow in a given person, so you should of course examine that as well. For these two categories, we first identify the person or people who nurtured us emotionally and provided for us physically. We then examine what those people taught us, both consciously and unconsciously. Then we ask how these feelings have had an effect on us and follow those threads to their end. Siblings is a word that I don't think is quite right here for this category, but I haven't found better language for it yet. First, you'll want to consider any siblings that grew up with you in your home. Think about your relationship with them and how those relationships affected you. If there were no other children growing up in your home, think about how that affected you. This category is also where you should consider the prominent relationships you had with the children who grew up close to you. Neighborhood or school friends, for example, are an integral part of the village that raises each of us. Think about what kids outside of your family taught you and how they affected you as well. Moving on to childhood. 
When you examine it, you'll want to look at your life up until your mid to late teens. I include the teens in the childhood because a person is still forming their self in these years and are often still very much under the guidance and protection of the nurturer and provider. You may want to change how much of your teens you include in the examination of childhood depending on your experience, and I definitely recommend doing so. In this, we ask questions about the overall state of our childhood. Were you happy? Were you safe? How involved were your parents and your family with your life? What was your role in family as a child? Did your childhood affect you positively or negatively as a whole? Again, ask how all these things affect you still. Home life examines the state and stability of your home or safe space. For those that had an unstable home life, the effects it had on you will likely feel very obvious to you. Examine the things you are already conscious of, but don't stop there. Dive as deep as you can and follow all the threads to their end. For those with a relatively stable home life, finding the shadow may be more difficult. For me, as someone who had a home life that felt stable to me, I struggled with this one for a while. It took me quite some time to realize that my provider did only the very bare minimum to provide and was hardly involved at all in child-rearing and the upkeep of the home. This put strain on my nurturer, who covered and compensated for him, and ultimately on all the members of my family. It also taught me to have a toxic view on gender roles in the home, which translated to toxic gender roles throughout life. Consider things like this as you go over your home life. The next category is driving external forces, and its subcategories are upbringing, religion, society, culture, and prominent experiences. When thinking about your upbringing, consider the values that were taught to you as a child. You will have touched on this a little bit in this category when you consider your nurturer and provider. Your upbringing are the values, traditions, and actions that the people in your life instilled in you. While your nurturer and provider are pivotal teachers, in this category they are not the only ones you'll have. Any adult or person in power teaches you something. Those involved in child rearing all have an ideal child in their mind that they will attempt to mold you into. Most are conscious of this vision, but not all are aware that the vision might not align with the human they are trying to mold. Consider your upbringing and how you responded to the attempts that were made to mold you without judgment. Whether you were made of stone and rebelled, or were clay and complied, neither is inherently positive or negative. It only is. However, consider the consequences of your rebellion or malleability. What effect has it had on your sense of self? How has it affected your relationship with the molder? What have those effects had on your life and choices? Did you form any biases on the role that the molder played in your life? For me, my relationship with my upbringing is complex. I was clay as a child, and I am still in the process of realizing just how much I allowed myself to be molded. Having the opinions and beliefs about myself and literally everything else decided for me was so pervasive that I never had the presence of mind to question anything. The consequences of this is that I'm learning how to question and be critical now. The good thing about that, though, is that I'm not easily taken advantage of. I'm always questioning and refining my worldview and beliefs, and it is a much better space to be in than stagnant acceptance, if you ask me. This is a pretty good segue into the next topic of religion. Religion was a massive part of my upbringing, as it is for a lot of people. Consider its effect on your self-image, worldview, and core values. Even if religion wasn't a big part of your upbringing, the absence of it likely had an effect on you as well. 
if not from the way things were handled within your family than by how you were judged by those on the outside. I grew up in Christianity, and as I talked about a little bit in the last episode, I grew up with a weaponized love version of it. It's a trigger point that I have become aware of, but have not yet figured out how to unwind. The church taught me to hate every aspect of myself, my queerness, my femininity, my feminism, and my activist nature. The hate was so well disguised and so well hidden that I was never even able to recognize these things in myself because I knew myself to be a good person, and a good person couldn't be those things. The church also allowed my abuser to continue his abuse even after it was brought to the light. These things are not something I'm willing to forgive because I have fought hard for this anger. While I've had some personal experiences that I can now liken to my experiences with my pagan deities, until I can divorce the deity from the followers, I'm not sure how to proceed. To be honest, I'm not sure I want to move forward with the Christian God even if I can create the needed distinctions between the deity and the church. As it is, this is something I am periodically circling back to as I work on other areas of my shadow. In my experience with shadow work, a block like this just means that there is something else I need to work on first, and once that work is completed, I'll have a breakthrough. In the meantime, this is a great opportunity to practice patience with myself. Society is defined as a group of individuals that share a culture and or a territory. In this section, you will want to consider how the prominent people in your society affected and directed you. Think about what the people in your culture value and how the value system affects you. Get as specific as a single person who profoundly affected you and as broad as thinking about how the beauty industry has affected your self-image. Up next is culture. Your culture is the values, beliefs, and practices of the society you live in. Culture can also show up in a more tangible way in the art, music, food, language, and religion of a given society. The ways in which you connect with and understand the culture that you are a part of, and the ways that you are disconnected from it as well, all affect your shadow. Consider the larger values of the society around you, and think about how they affect you. Finally, in this section, we come to prominent experiences. This one is pretty self-explanatory. In this section, we consider the big events in our lives. When you think about the things that have happened to you, a couple of specific things will probably immediately come to mind. For me, I think about my mother's passing, leaving Christianity, coming out, and moving away from my family as the really big prominent experiences of my life so far. Some of these things had huge positive effects on me, and others were very painful and difficult to go through. As I've said before, journaling is hugely important in shadow work, and I think that in this section, it is especially so. First, recognize how these events affect you. Recognize and hold space for the emotional response you have to them, and to the ego response as well. Then return to them, and try to see them with an unemotional eye, without the lens of ego. This can be very difficult, especially with experiences that are very painful, or that had huge consequences for you but it's important to recognize both the positive and negative consequences of the things that have happened. The worst thing that ever happened to me was the death of my mother. Her passing had a ripple effect on the entirety of my life. She was both nurturer and provider, and her loss was devastating to our family unit that was no longer a family without her to hold us together. While I miss her and I wish that she were still present in my life, I also recognize that if she had not passed, I would be a radically different person than I am now. 
she made life easy and made captivity comfortable for me it is very possible that if she were still here i would still be that awful hateful person so deep in the closet that even i didn't know i was there the pain had a purpose and i have come to recognize that knowing this truth has helped me heal and reprogram old trauma and belief systems and replace them with so much love i'm not quite thankful for the suffering i've been through i'm not sure that's a healthy outlook and even if it is you never have to be thankful for pain to be a good person or to be healed however i love who i am today and i am grateful for the opportunity to grow and change and be the me i am this is what this area of shadow work has taught me and i think taking a step back from these prominent experiences is a great way to get deep with your shadow next we move on to the subcategories for driving internal forces ego fear attachments aversions and habits hopefully by this point in your shadow work you already have an understanding of your ego and how it responds to the things it understands to be positive negative and neutral as you move through life when you work with and look at your ego be sure that you're going into it with the right mindset i said this in the last episode but i think it's important enough to repeat your ego is not a negative thing the goal of working on your ego is not to remove it or suppress it suppressing it actually goes against the point of shadow work remember that the ego is trying in its own way to protect you and it's an important part of your psyche with this in mind take a look at your ego ask yourself do i control my ego or does my ego control me when your ego is outside of your control you will be ruled by your impulses feel as though everyone and everything is against you and find yourself unable to stick with a decision a healthy ego gives you perspective helps you understand what you truly want and allows you to make decisions quickly taking control back from your ego will be different for each person the way your ego operates will be different than the way mine does but remember that everything starts with awareness start with paying attention to your initial reaction to difficult uncomfortable and unplanned situations notice patterns and then you will be able to unwind behavior fear is our next subcategory in shadow work confronting and understanding your fear is essential in nearly all areas at least it was for me when you examine your fears remember to always ask why when you understand the root of a fear it takes away its power and when you take power away from something it is much easier to put that thing aside or to at least act in spite of fear with this category be sure to practice a little common sense as well fear is not an inherently negative thing you probably have plenty of healthy fears and a healthy fear is not something that needs to be removed it is the fears that are based in pain ego or another unhealthy base that need to be dealt with next attachments are the things that we love and or place value on they can be qualities you value in others or in yourself they can be things that you desire dreams that you have or a hundred other things regardless of what a person's particular attachments might be they are seen as positive and you are often willing to do anything to obtain or maintain them when you are dealing with your attachments ask yourself if the attachment you are examining is healthy good for you and driving you to your highest good and self once you have your answer you can either put that attachment aside and move on to the next or begin to unwind the attachment in order to understand its root aversions are the inverse of attachments these are things that you see as negative qualities in yourself and others negative desires and dreams and many other things as well these are things we avoid in others suppress in ourselves and otherwise try to leave behind 
as with attachments some adversions are healthy ones and so all our adversions must be examined and the root of them understood ask the same questions of your aversions as you would your attachments and follow these threads of understanding to where they lead you finally habits are the things we do predictably or on a regular basis our habits speak to how we cope with life a healthy one will lift you up and help you be a happy and healthy person and an unhealthy habit may be of momentary comfort but they do not serve you well in the long term shifting your habits into healthy ones can take time because some habits are developed young but it's always possible to change this was actually an area of shadow work that i worked long and hard in before i started practicing shadow work there was a time where i had to micromanage my every moment so that i could give myself the structure i needed to be happy and healthy eventually the habits were in place and i could relax and trust the system let me know if you'd like to hear about how i nurtured my habits i can go into more detail about this process if there is enough interest the next category is external beliefs and values, and its subcategories are ambitions, thought patterns, belief systems, desires, and current condition. Your ambitions are all about the value you place on what you do in and with your life. The things you aspire to will show you the values and desires that you have for your life and therefore see as the most valuable. In this section, think about the things you aspire to do and ask what those things tell you about what you want and value. Are your ambitions healthy and helpful ones? Do you want or need to change them? Do your relationships to them need to change? How do your ambitions fall in your list of life priorities? Is that a healthy priority for you? Thought patterns are something I've mentioned more than once over the course of this talk. It is extremely important to gain awareness of your thought patterns and to make changes to them. In shadow work, yes, but also just to generally be a happier person. When you take a look at your thought patterns, ask yourself what drives the patterns. Is it love, anxiety, hope, fear, or something else? Consider your inner voices. You likely have more than one. What key figures have a voice in your thought patterns? Do you generally speak kindly to yourself and others in your thoughts, or do you tear yourself down and judge others? For me, spending time recognizing the different voices in my thought patterns was extremely beneficial. It made me able to distinguish between my own intuition, messages from power outside of myself, the voice of my anxiety, and the voice of my personal biases and desires, which in turn made me a much better diviner, medium, and devotee to my deities. It also allowed me to be able to recognize the voices of my abusers in my self-talk and to stop abusing myself with their lies and beliefs about me. It has over time completely changed the way I talk to myself, think about myself, and how I think about others. Moving on to belief systems. Your belief systems are different from your religion as they are often more broad. They are absolutely influenced by your religion, but they don't stop there. Think about the things you believe in and the way that you make decisions, take actions, cultivate relationships, and generally live your life because of them. Ask what you believe about yourself, about the people you love, about strangers, about people of other faiths and backgrounds. Also ask some of the bigger questions in life here. What do you believe is the purpose of life? Why are you here? What are you meant to be doing? What value do you have in the collective? There are a lot of questions to ask yourself in this section, but the important thing to keep in mind here is that this is the space where you challenge what you believe and why you believe it. Desires are our next subcategory. 
This section is where we think about what we want, why we want it, and what we are willing to do to get them. Many of the things that you desire will likely be healthy ones, but we also often have things that cross over from desire and into obsession. It's important to decide if what you sacrifice is worth what you gain when going after your desires. Ask if the desire is in alignment with Source and your highest self and good. For me, the majority of my desires are harmless, if not outright in alignment. I am a person who tends to hyper-focus on things, however, and tunnel vision has often been a problem for me in the past. These things, along with my desire for a savior, often caused me to want things badly enough to give up anything to get it, while at the same time believing that I didn't deserve to take it for myself, and so I would raid around for someone else to give it to me. It opened me up to a lot of abuse, dependence on my abusers, and it kept me trapped for a long time. Remember as you think about your desires that if your motivations and alignment are off, then even the most benign desires can perpetuate harmful behavior and abuse. Lastly for this subcategory is your current condition. This is the space where you consider where you are in the current moment in life. Think about every area of it from your physical experience of life to your spiritual experience. Think about how you feel about your life currently and ask yourself for your ego response, your fear response, your emotional response, and your logical response to it. This will help you understand your shadow self in a meaningful way, and it will also give you the opportunity to make changes in your current condition to better yourself and make your life a happier and healthier one. Finally, the last category is internal beliefs and values. Its subcategories are relationships, projections, reflections, and shadow. In relationships, consider each of the important relationships in your life. Look at the way these people treat you and how you treat them in return. Ask yourself how you can create balance in each relationship. Don't confine yourself to romantic relationships here. Think about your friends, your family, your professional relationships, and beyond. Do you treat others fairly, or do your biases and ego block you? Do you give as much as you receive? Do you receive as much as you give? What are your priorities in relationships? What do you need from them? What do you want from them? I had to learn to prioritize myself and to end self-sacrificial patterns in my relationships. I am a giver. I will give and give and give until it kills me if I allow myself to. It's been a process of learning to set boundaries and then to enforce them in literally every relationship I have. It's been difficult and sometimes painful, but always rewarding. On the flip side of that, I also found that because I was constantly giving, there were some people in my life that I was constantly taking from and giving little to in return because they were kind enough to listen when I needed to vent. I had to teach myself to set boundaries in this area as well, and that basically looks like always asking before I vent to someone and holding space for the people I vent to to do the same. Next up is projections, which are the things that we externalize or project onto others. We all project something, and while it's not a negative thing to do so, it can be very harmful when it goes unnoticed or unchecked. The easiest way to illustrate what unchecked projections look like is to paint a picture of parental expectations. There are many parents who want specific things for their kids. Let's say in this case it's financial security. An unchecked projection will cause a loving parent who wants what's best for their child to force that child to go to school to become an accountant instead of allowing that child to follow their dream of becoming an artist because they are afraid that their child will not be able to sustain themselves. 
We've all seen enough movies or have personal experiences with these kinds of parents to know that this stifles the child and almost always will make them miserable in both the short and long term. Think about what has been projected onto you in your life and how that has affected you. Think about what you project onto others and how you can best manage those projections so that they do not cause harm. Remember that projecting is fine as long as you allow space in your expectations for that person you are projecting onto to prioritize themselves and their truth. Reflections are the inverse of projections. They are the parts of ourselves that we see in others. Sometimes we like what we see and as such build close bonds with these people. Other times, we do not like what we see when we are shown parts of our ego or shadow self that are unevolved or undesirable. This often triggers an ego response, and we reject that person out of hand without caring if they are actually a lovely person or not. For me, it has been most important to look at the reflections that I reject. My main abuser growing up was my father, and he has triggered many, many reflections and the corresponding ego responses for me. I know that I have the potential to be exactly like him. We have very similar temperaments, and we used to have very similar views on life. I saw all the horrible, ugly parts of myself in him, and I had to consciously choose to not treat people the way he treated them. I hated him so much for a lot of reasons, and many of them were well-deserved. But part of my problem with him in the beginning of my awakening was that I had as much potential to turn into him as I did to grow up into who I have become. Realizing and accepting that has been healing in ways I didn't expect, and has given me permission to recognize that I have chosen to be a kind person. I have chosen to make my life's mission to love others and to create safe spaces for them. It could have gone the other way, but it didn't because I chose to end the cycle of abuse. That's amazing and powerful, and it's helped me love myself. And finally, we come to the last subcategory, the shadow. This is the space where you examine the state of your shadow in its entirety. This is where you make plans to change what you see, to heal what needs healing, and to cut away what needs to be cut away. It's where you begin the process of starting integration, and where you bring parts of yourself into the light. It's where you learn to love your shadow and to thank it for the work it has done and will continue to do in protecting you. And that, my darlings and darklings, are the finer points of shadow work. I'd love to do some kind of Q&A episode on shadow work in a couple of weeks, so if you have any questions, please reach out. You can find out how to contact me in the outro of this episode. Next up is the Meditation Station. This week in the Meditation Station, we're talking about the Minor Arcana Affirmation Meditation for the Suit of Pentacles. The pentacles most often speak to our physical world and needs, and this meditation really leans into that. When I was writing these affirmations, I really wanted to focus on prosperity and security. The affirmations take the listener on a journey from doing the best work that they are capable of and enjoying the fruits of that labor, and then turning outwards to share the abundance that has been cultivated. This meditation in particular shows the path that the pentacles walk us down, and I really like how it turned out. You can give it a listen anywhere you get your podcasts or on the Simply Witchery YouTube channel. Let me know what you think! This week's Magic in Me is a quick one. I wanted to go a little more in-depth with a topic I tossed out on my Thoughtful Thursday last week. I ruminated a little bit on the importance of taking breaks in all aspects of your practice. There is value in doing nothing that I think our society has really lost. 
rest is so devalued and i think it's important for us as witches diviners pagans and practitioners of all kinds to not only accept that it is a part of life but to actively prioritize it with the right mindset rest can become a deep and meaningful part of your practice and once that shift has been made it opens up the door to a new level of self-care and love that's not to say that your rest has to be meaningful for it to have value or purpose but i think the idea that taking time to rest is laziness is so pervasive that considering active or meaningful rest is a good stepping stone for me now that i've learned to accept the rest as a part of the process my anxiety over resting has almost disappeared i have my moments still as everyone does but it's been so freeing to allow myself the space i need to recharge in whatever way i need to in the moment i can see a shift in the quality of my work and the amount of my time and energy i am able to put into it i hope that you all can see it too but honestly if you can't it's okay i feel so much happier and healthier and it's made me a better witch diviner and pagan and that is its own sort of magic if you feel called to share i'd love to hear about your relationship with rest up next is tarot time this week for the collective, I felt called to draw three cards from my Angelarium Oracle of Emanations. I pulled Leliel, the Angel of Night, Keter, the Crown, and Sahakuel, the Angel of the Sky. If you'd like to see the cards, you can check out our blog where I'll post a picture. I will also describe the cards here. Keter depicts a creature of enormous size. Its skin is a gradient of pure white at the top of its head and goes to a dark gray to the bottom of its legs. Its head has four horn-like protrusions, above which float a black orb. Several white and gray orbs arc downwards in a semicircle behind the creature and stop between its knees. Its hands are before it, palms touching, and its head is bowed as if in prayer. Above it are white, ghostly hands, palms touching in a similar position. Behind it is a gray, rocky landscape and a large river. Leliel has a feminine figure and is clothed in golden armor, and a golden-gray shawl-like cape falls from its shoulders and attaches to its wrists. Dark wings protrude from its hips. Two horns grow straight up from its head, and a metallic half-circle floats around them about halfway up them. Behind the creature glows a crescent moon in a cloudy sky. Zahakuel is a metallic-skinned creature that floats in the sky. Behind its head floats a golden visage of the sun. Golden armor adorns its chest, and circles of gold float around its wrists, waist, and neck. Lengths of metallic cloth attached to its clothing spiral away from its body. At the end of these lengths are golden circles. One of its hands is extended outwards, and the other is lifted with the ring and pinky finger folded down while the other three point upwards. This week, we are each called to get in touch with our particular brand of spirituality and to reach out to the powers that are higher than ourselves. Keter calls us to look outside the mind and body, to get in touch with the powers we struggle to understand and attempt to gain some clarity and truth from them. We will be able to do this by allowing the cloak of darkness to surround us and to thank the powers for it because without it we would not be able to see the beauty of the night sky. As you walk the path, don't be afraid of what lurks in the dark. Sahakuel is your shield and will protect you and guide you to the light on the other side. I hope this reading meets you where you are and resonates in your spirit. This week's listener question is from Instagram, and they ask, What should I focus on to have a successful career? 
i pulled three cards from the welcome to night vale tarot the ten of swords the five of pentacles and the moon the art of the ten of swords is rather difficult to describe so please check out the blog if you'd like to see it for yourself i'll do my best to describe it for you in the top and lower center of the card glows two golden circles red symbols stretch up to the top and down to the bottom of the card to the left of the circles is a mirror and to the right is a black bar that mars a table the five of pentacles depicts a small brown building that houses an ice cream shop an ice cream cone with a cherry on top of it sits on the roof of the building fairy lights glow on the rim of the roof twinkling in the fading light of the sun shadows can be seen within the shop huddled together perhaps whispering to each other the moon depicts a bright full moon glowing above the slopes of a mountain on the ground in the foreground of the card are glowing blue flowers that grow up from the grass these cards counsel you to focus on the coming dawn and to the opportunities that are coming to you in the near future while there has been some hardship in this area for you there are good times growing from the ash of what was follow your dreams and your intuition toward the bright future ahead be sure to focus on what will make you happy and what will allow you to connect with your higher self the most i hope this reading has resonated with you my dear listener good luck to you in all your endeavors that's it for this week's episode thank you so much for listening please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and ratings and reviews would be greatly appreciated if you would like a transcript of the episode please visit our blog at simplywitchery.wixsite.com home the music in this episode is where was i by lee rosevier you can contact Simply Witchery by direct message on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube. You can also email me at simplywitchery at gmail.com. Feel free to answer any questions I've posed in this episode, or if you have any questions of your own, let me know. If you'd like to receive a tarot reading for yourself on a future episode, you can also send your questions for those to my email or send me a direct message on any of my socials. Love to each and every one of you, and I'll see you next time. Bye!